Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone and be seated. It is good to see you all out tonight. Amen. Good to see Robin back with us. Glad she's feeling better. That's wonderful. Amen. We want to pray especially tonight for Ted's mom. Ted, who normally sits right back here uh, along with Tina. Ted's mom, Sedona Lee, took a fall and went through surgery. And I got the word from Neil earlier today. We went to prayer. We sent it down the prayer chain. We've got uh, a little four-year-old we're praying for right now. Uh, that prayer request was sent in by, by Hannah Candy uh, Hosmer. And uh, we have a number of other prayer requests. I want you to be in prayer for a church uh, probably, oh, an hour's drive from here. And uh, they are in a state of distress. We want to pray for them that God will provide the right leadership there. Uh, all across America, there is a crisis right now in seeking to provide uh, uh, some type of recommendation to help out that church. I had a conversation with my dear friend, Dr. Jack Treber. I dial, he's in my speed dial, but normally it's always I get a call back. You know, it's one of those situations. And uh, I called, and on the third dial he picked up. And he said, my dear old friend. And I said, Doc, what, what, uh, how are things going? And we talked a little bit. And uh, we talked about this church. Says, and he says, I know the church well. He says, I've already gotten information. He says, but i got to tell you this. He said, uh, over the course of the years, I've had X number of men work for me. They're out in the ministry full-time themselves. He said, last year we had so many uh, X number of graduates, and every one of them had three or four places they could have gone, and the rest not filled. He said, right now on my desk I have a stack of the names and addresses and numbers and situations of over 100 independent fundamental Baptist churches that don't have pastors and I have no one to send. We are in a state of crisis. It's worse than politics. It's worse than inflation. It's a, it's a crisis of leadership in our country right now. And I don't know what the answer is except to pray the Lord of the harvest that will send forth laborers. And I don't know what else to tell you other than that. And so we've had... We've had our challenges this week, among others, but this is one of them. And so we're praying for the sick, we're praying for the needy, we're praying for the churches that certainly need some help. Hey, this Sunday, we're going to, in this auditorium right here, we're going to celebrate 59 years of God's blessings. I want you to do your best, not only to be out, but to bring as many people. You've got family, you've got friends, you've got people. We want to bring those people, fill this place up. I'm going to get on the phone, and I'm going to call and text Everybody that I can, but I want you to help me out. If you've got relatives, this is when you call in favors. This is when you say, you know that thing I did for... All right, you can... Here you go. Payoff time right now. Payback time. Want you in church on Sunday. Amen. Let's fill this place up Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. We'll have the Hispanic ministry, the children's ministry, everybody represented as we celebrate the goodness of God. 59 years. Now, the second we complete that, we will be starting our plans for our 60th anniversary. That's going to be a big one next year at this time. Nobody takes vacations in October. Nobody leaves and no one's allowed to get sick or go to the hospital or anything. Not allowed to do that. I'm telling you, next year on the 60th, isn't that right, Brother Tyler? Next year on the 60th, no one's allowed to be gone. Everybody's got to be here. Amen. Amen. All right, now to get prepared for that. Every day pray. Every day work on it. Every day invite people. And Saturday be out to clean at 9 and be out to visit at 10. And let's do everything we can to the glory of God. And uh, let's 
praise Him as we ought to. Don't forget, coming up in November, Saturday, November 19th, 4 o'clock, the Care and Share Thanksgiving dinner in our fellowship hall downstairs. Volunteer to bring two food items. Volunteer to help, to set up, to clean up afterwards, to serve, to prepare, and be part of it. And everybody bring someone and do your part to eat a share of that which we're showing that we care with as everybody brings out these wonderful, I'm telling you, wonderful, wonderful food items. Our church has the greatest food preparers anywhere on the planet. Amen. We are continuing in our theme of how can we reach 8 billion souls in this missions month. And as we think about uh, all the challenges that we have, we've seen already that our giving is to be grace giving. We saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we saw that it's to be generous. What the Bible calls liberal giving is generous giving. And then it's to be, as we saw in chapter 10 last week, for the glory of God. Now, how and in what way do we direct that glory? And as we have seen tonight already over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities, the things which concern our infirmities. We want to see some of those infirmities, some of those challenges. Everybody in this room, everybody within the sound of my voice, everybody who's listening, everybody who has ever named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior has experienced difficulties. That is a part of the landscape. It is part of the program. God permits those difficulties. He's not being cruel but it's for our own good. And you say, well, boy, I've had a bunch of, for, for you know, our own good. <laughs> I've had a bunch of that this week. Amen. And God provides the grace, doesn't he, for us to get through. I must tell Jesus all of my burdens and my problems, I must share those things with him as we have seen already. This is so important for us to, uh, to understand and to share the truth of this. I hope... When you go home tonight, you'll start to make some promises to God, some holy vows. And you say, Lord, you can have my life. You can have my bank account. You can have my ability. You can have all that I am and all that I ever hope to be, that I might be a channel of blessings for souls to come to you through Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to be used. I'm willing to allow you to have. And Lord, it's all yours anyway. I... Uh, I've uh, often said, Lester Roloff was the first one I heard say this, if you're giving while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. And don't wait till you're dead because, you know what, all your heirs are going to fight over it anyway. So, I mean, I hate to sound so, so uh, negative, but isn't that the truth? That is absolutely the truth. So you, you're going to find out you cannot give the Lord. He's, uh, he's going to bless you if you give. He's going to give you more back. It was in the famous Pilgrim's Progress written by John Bunyan, 17th century. That's the 1600s for all of you folks. 17th century Baptist preacher, a dissenter, because in those days they wouldn't let you preach unless you had a license from the government. And so they put God under the government, and he refused. And he'd go out and preach, and they put him in jail for about 10, 11, 12 years. And he said this in Pilgrim's Progress which he wrote from his jail cell. And a lot of people don't realize how 
he wrote it. But every day he would get a small bottle of nearly soured milk to consume in jail. And he would take the bottle stopper, which was a rolled up piece of paper, and he'd flatten it out. Then he took a little stick and he dipped it in whatever dirt or filth was there in his cell. And he wrote several lines of Pilgrim's Progress. And over the course of a decade, that's how he wrote the book Pilgrim's Progress. And if before you die, you don't read Pilgrim's Progress, you're going to be ashamed when you get to heaven. In Pilgrim's Progress, this is what he said. He who bestows his goods upon the poor shall have as much again and ten times more. That's true. You cannot give the Lord. That's it. I remember when Jerry Falwell was giving away a four-set book. It had a little cardboard uh, kind of a container and then silver-covered hardback books, all of them thin, that he considered the four greatest modern works that he wanted to send out to all of his people that sent him $100 or whatever it was on that particular occasion. I remember when Brother Falwell would raise money. He would, he would send things out in appreciation. And included among those books was a book by C.S. Lewis entitled Mere Christianity. One of the great books ever written for Christians. And in that, he said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Amen. Amen. I like that. I like that. Jesus Christ is the supreme example of that supreme sacrifice. He's the supreme example of that supreme sacrifice. He's an example of how we ought to give. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. It's dead because it continually receives and never gives out. There's no outlet. There's only an inlet to the Dead Sea. We don't want to be Dead Sea Christians. Amen. 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 We ought to be alive and well. And uh, when the Holy Spirit impresses upon us that impulse to give, the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. The word cheerful is hilarion. It's hilarious. It's, it's that kind of a cheerful giver. Amen. Amen. There's an old, old uh, saying, a bit of fragrance always clings to the hand that gives you roses. And there you go. So we want to have that kind of a hand. So the Apostle Paul, having covered grace giving, generous giving, and giving to the glory of God, now talks about glorying in those things that concern his infirmities. Paul didn't pull any punches. He said, if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, we're going to walk in his steps and we're going to suffer. And he did. He knew all about suffering. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my Folly, he's speaking with tongue in cheek, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. And I know exactly how he feels. I feel that way about my people whenever I hear somebody has gone off to some other seminar or some other place, and it's like they're moonlighting, and, and it just, you know, it, it kind of gets me somewhere down here because I would like for the local church to be a place where people are comfortably uh, fit in their proper place. And they don't feel like they have to go hither and yon and everywhere. And there are some churches like that where every excuse, people are gone. I'm glad for people that are faithful. 
And he says, I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So the church represents uh, the bride and Jesus Christ is the, is the bridegroom. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled, you know, beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, here it is. We want to stay simple about those basic beliefs. Recently, we've met some folks, and, and uh, I think uh, it was best described by Brother Tyler. Brother Tyler's got a lot of insight for a man his age, and uh, it belies his age, but he talked about people practicing buffet Christianity. And buffet Christianity is when you've got to add this layer on top of this layer on top of this layer, on top of this layer instead of Christ in his simplicity. What did I say on, on one of my short clips this week? If you've got Christ, you've got salvation. If you haven't got Jesus Christ, you haven't got salvation. It's simple. It's basic. Why do we make it so complex? Why do those who claim to be Christians add so much tradition and extra things to the simplicity that is in Christ? And when you do that, you tend to lend weight or give weight to things that are not essential. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Wow. What's he saying? I'm concerned that if somebody, and they, they talk about Jesus, but it's another Jesus, or if they talk about uh, uh, another spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit of the Bible, or if they talk about another gospel, but it's not the simple gospel of the Word of God, that people might be drawn away. And people are easily confused by terminology. And although our technology, Brother Candy, is a, a great blessing, it can also be a great curse. Because you can go on the Internet and you can put all kinds of lies up there and people will read it and believe it. I want us to be very, very careful I, I still believe in old-fashioned books. I like old-fashioned books. I've got thousands of them in my library. But I have one, actually I've got two shelves that I call my poison shelf. And these are shelves that have other Bibles or have other books by modernists or unbelievers or, or people that don't agree scripturally. And I call it the poison shelf. And the only reason I use it is for the purpose of exposing the error. And I expose that error, not because I want to set myself up on some kind of pedestal. Look, I'm the right one. Everybody else is wrong. No, it's so that I can keep you from heartache and disappointment and discouragement and false teaching. There was false teaching in the New Testament. and There's false teaching today. We know in the last days there, there'll be scoffers and false teachers and false prophets. And that's what this scripture is all about tonight. Paul is saying with regard to his own authority, verse 5, for I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chiefest apostles, but though I be rude in speech, yet not, uh, not, in no, not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. So he's, he's saying this. He's saying this. God gave me this position. God put me in this position. Not always a thankful, it may be a thankless position. And sometimes our ministry puts us in a thankless position as well. We don't like to have to. We don't have to, uh, to do this constantly, but often enough that it makes you stop, gives you pause, and you say, you know what? 
why am I explaining this for the umpteenth time to this person? Why am I going through this over and over and over again? Why do we not get it? And we don't get certain things in the Bible because we don't apply ourselves. If we applied ourselves and we learned it, like uh, in the old-fashioned days when, when school was really school, you, you learned your multiplication, your addition, subtraction, your multiplication tables, you remember that? By repetition. Two times two is four. Two times three is six. Remember that? Over and over and over. I've done this so many times. In the seventh grade, I will never forget my seventh grade teacher uh, in English. She was about this tall. She had a ruler. In those days, you could still walk around with and wield a ruler. She would wield a ruler, and she would have us apply ourselves, or she would apply that ruler. And uh, she taught us. And these are all the forms of to be and the helping verbs in English. Be, am, is, or was, were, been. Have, has, had, do, did, does. Can, could, shall, should, will, would, may, might, must, and ought. And I learned that when I was in seventh grade, and I still know it today. Those are all the forms of to be and the helping verbs. All right. So what good does that do? Well, that and, you know, $5 gets you a cup of coffee at Starbucks or someplace like that. But uh, it just shows you, if you apply yourself... I can, I can recall I had a thick book. It was kind of a paperback book, but it was a thick book. And it had all the baseball averages. Rogers Hornsby, remember that? Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb. Rogers Hornsby, I remember Hornsby hit 400 twice, I think. 402, 408, something like that. But, but the highest average ever was Ty Cobb, wasn't it? Ty Cobb had the high average, was it about 360, 367, something like that? And you say, I'm going to look it up. No, you're not. Not while I'm preaching, you're not. All right. But I studied all those things, and people say they can't memorize Scripture, but they know, they know food recipes. They know the names of, of famous people. They know certain sports statistics and so forth. We understand what we want to apply ourselves. We need to apply ourselves to the truth. Amen. Apply yourself to the truth and God will make a great difference to your life. And you won't wear out the preacher and the preacher's uh, helpers and leaders in the church because you just don't get it. You just don't get it. Listen, if we're majoring on the simplicity that is in Christ, that's what Christianity is all about. It's knowing about Jesus Christ and Him living through us. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, that, that means he didn't have an income, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. He's saying, I wasn't a financial drag on you. Praise the Lord. I, I agree with that. Those of us who are in ministry do not preach for the paycheck. We are very thankful for it. We thank God that we don't have to be burdened with that. God's people take care of that. But there are some elements of professing Christianity whose, uh, whose concept is the opposite of that, and that is to, to, uh, to, to leave that man of God or that leader, that Christian leader in that church, that clergy person or person who stands up and is the authority, uh, in a state of want. What do they do? 
Same thing I taught all of my preacher boys coming up through the Bible Institute in its various manifestations over the years, and that is be bivocational. Be bivocational. That way God calls you, and you go in, you start a ministry, you conduct that ministry, and nobody can ever fire you. Amen. And you can do the work of God unhindered if you're bivocational. Now, a lot of people think bivocational is some kind of a handicap or challenge. It is not. It's the blessing of God. So here, Paul, who was able to make tents and uh, make money on the side, was able to do that. As the truth of Christ is in, is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia, that is in Greece. Wherefore, why? Because I love you not, God knoweth. But what I do, that will I do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Now we need to have a legitimate, we need to have our, our, our uh, uh, antenna up and we need to have our false teacher awareness uh, ready to go and be uh, aware of false apostles, deceitful workers who are disguised as apostles, as ministers of light. Now, let's, let's look at these. Here, here they are. Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I hope that you'll get this as we're giving it out tonight. One of the great oppositions that we, with which we must contend as Bible believers are false apostles, false teachers, false religion. Understand that we as Bible-believing Baptists are the actual granddaddies of all the religious freedom that was experienced in the colonies and later in the fledgling United States of America. Everything that you understand about religious freedom came by way of and because of the Baptists who settled up in Rhode Island. And uh, John Clark and others who were responsible for uh, the establishment of free congregations also allowed the exercise, a free exercise of religion. They didn't have to be part of, nor would the Baptists have anything to do with state religion. Just independent not supported by taxes, not supported by public funds, but rather by the free will, love offerings, and the tithes and offerings of God's people. That's always been the case. And we do not persecute. We've always been the persecuted ones. We have never been the persecutors. It's always been the other way around. It goes all the way back to the early days of the establishment of Rhode Island. And uh, ministers in other colonies, you see their pictures on the walls out here depicted. Uh, some in Virginia suffered for the cause of Jesus Christ, were imprisoned and suffered persecution. Some were beaten cruelly for no other, for no other cause than preaching the gospel without the, the state license or the government license that we talked about a little while ago. I say again, verse 16, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. He's saying, I'm not a fool, but if that's the only way you're going to accept me, then listen on. That which I speak, I speak, it not, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. 
For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. He was going through every kind of persecution and opposition to the point of death. He was dying daily is what it boiled down to. You ever feel like that? Ever feel like you were close to death? Ever be concerned that it was, your strength was sapped? Now he is going to give the evidence. He is going to bring it and, and he's going to hold it up to their face. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. That's thirty-nine lashes. Now the Romans would do this. They would take like a cat of nine tails. And they would, they would have all those lashes, leather straps together. And then they would have some glue-like material. And they would take stones or, or sharp pieces of metal and would embed them in the leather thongs, the leather straps. And then when they would beat a man, they would beat him with those straps. Most men would have a difficult time recuperating, recovering from one beating. 39 stripes. Why 39? Because they didn't want to give more than 40. And so just in case the count was off, they went with 39. So it was... Uh, 40 stripes save one. So they would go with 39 stripes. And I don't know exactly how it was administered, but we're told by secular historians that many men died from one beating. They would bleed to death or they would die from the, from the horrific shock. Uh, you'd have to be carried from the place where you're beaten with this. And when a big burly Roman soldier or another official would, would wield that, they would snap it so that as it's reaching the flesh, it would gouge out the flesh and blood would splatter everywhere. This is what they did to Jesus Christ. And this is what they did to the Apostle Paul, not once, twice, three times, four times, but five times. You multiply that out. He must have had scars all over his back. And these scars did not always just hit the back. Sometimes hit the, the legs, the, the hips, the arms, the neck, the, even the face. And there would be gouges and, and horrific scarring that would take place. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Now, these rods were either steel or they were uh, heavy wood. And sometimes these rods... I am told, were used on the bottom of the feet or on the legs. So the person, when they're being beaten, their, their feet would be brought up, and on the bottom of the feet, they would be beaten with that rod to break the bottoms of the feet. And it was on those feet, after he healed up, that this apostle walked all over the Roman Empire, winning souls to Jesus. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. Starting churches, teaching Amen. One of my preacher mentors used to say when he'd read this, he'd say, oh, say, oh, when I think of Jesus and his suffering, when I think of Paul and his suffering, I feel so backslidden. I feel like such a 
spiritual midget by comparison. Wow. Thrice beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Stoned, that means stoned to the point of death. And many people believe the stoning he received at Lystra was to the point of death that he died. That's when his spirit was caught up into the third heaven. I suffered shipwreck. Thrice I suffered sh shipwreck. And that was before the shipwreck that, uh, that he experienced at the end of the book of Acts. A night and a day I have been in the deep. So he traveled on ships and, and they were wrecked in journeyings often in perils of waters and perils of robbers. Think about that. In perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, outside, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He's saying, not only was I nearly killed numerous times in the service of the Lord by things that are outside, but on the inside, just the daily stress of the churches just about killed me. And I have known more than one pastor who went to an early grave because of that stress. There's a high incidence of poor health among preachers. And this is not because they're not spiritual. This is because there, there are, praise God, for those who take care of their preachers, but there is, there's a high percentage of churches where that is not the case. Being a pastor, I've studied this. I've seen it firsthand also in the case of my father. My father was the most loving, most caring, most adept pastor you'll ever meet in your life. If you had the privilege to know him, you'd say there is nobody like Pastor Max Winnegar. He was very, very special. And yet he put up with some of the most ungodly treatment and some of the most uh, horrible abuse. So much so, I recall as a young boy when I was still in grade school, I remember a visit that some deacons made to my father. My father was lying in bed with bleeding ulcers and they made a visit to complain about something or other. And it is no wonder, and I'll say something more about this on Sunday, but I'll say it right now. It is no wonder that all the way even into Bible college, I was insisting there's no way I'll ever pastor a church. No way I'll ever put up with what my dad had to go through. I saw it firsthand. And uh, don't ever tell the Lord what you won't do. God had other plans. Amen. Now that, that make a song. Put that down. God had other plans. That's a song. Waiting to be written. I got to tell you, the Apostle Paul is an example. And what he is saying now in principle, whether we ever go through, uh, you know, being beaten with 39 stripes or, or being beaten on the bottom of our feet until they break or being stoned or shipwrecked or, or all of these things, going through that kind of peril. I've been through some peril, but nothing approaching this. I've, I've been in third world situations where I could have been killed several times on our trips abroad. I could have died. That's very, very possible. But it wasn't God's time yet. And here is what we understand, that whether we live or whether we die, it is to the glory of God. That's it. That's it. 
It says in verse 29, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? He's saying, you haven't gone through anything that I haven't gone through. But here's what he says. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. We're not lying or boasting or exaggerating, but rather saying it's worth it. Jesus Christ and the service of the King is worth it all. It will be worth it all when we get home. It'll be worth it all when we see Him. It'll be worth it all when He says, well done. He's not going to say, well intended. Oh, I intended to serve the Lord. That's not going to get a well. He's not going to say, well said. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Eretus, the king, kept the city or guarded the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. A garrison. Bunch of soldiers coming after him. And through a window in a basket, I was let down by the wall and escaped his hands. There were those that criticized him and called him a coward because he did that. I think it was a pretty cool escape. That's what I think. And all the things that he went through later on proves that he was not a coward. He wasn't running from the battle. He was just running to the next battle. And sometime when, when I get let down over a wall, I'll just be running to the next battle. That's it. We have some people that God has established in our life as mentors. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And we don't call our clergy people father so-and-so. But in terms of a relationship... Those who have begotten us, those who have invested their very life breath in our being saved and growing in grace deserve our prayers and our support and, uh, you know, cooperation, cooperation. I'm not looking for an easy path. I'm not looking for, for comfort, earthly comfort. I've, I've enjoyed many good things that God has provided. But that's not what I'm expecting. That's not the minimum. Recently I heard about a pastor that wanted to candidate at a certain place. And he went into that place where they had been wounded and hurt. And he began to make demands upon them and said, Now if you call me, I demand this and I demand that and I demand the other thing. And praise God, an evangelist who was helping with that situation told him to take a hike. That's not how you come in. You don't come in and tell them how it's going to be. You come in and you say, I'm a servant of the Lord God. And how can I help? How can I help you? What do you need? What are you in need of spiritually? A lot of people are proud. They won't tell you. But a lot of folks will. And I have never, ever, ever, ever 
lacked for business when I've solicited uh, the answer that that question invokes, and that is, uh, what do you need? If you preach the gospel, if you share Jesus Christ, you'll never run out of business. You'll never run out of hurting people. You'll never run out of healing, spiritual healing and physical healing that people need. You'll never run out of candidates for the ministry because this world has, has resulted in so many wounds and so many hurt, hurt people and, and uh, they just need something from the Lord and the pastor needs to be the one who helps them to, to find that balm in Gilead, that relief that they need. False teachers won't do that. False teachers uh, will hit and run. False teachers uh, will, will get uh, out of their crowd what they want to get, and then they're on their way. Boom, just like that. False teachers are those who uh, serve in religion, but they're deceitful. They're deceitful. They're not, they're not propagating the truth. They are, they are appearing as ministers of light, but don't worry, because Satan does that too, and that's where these people are getting their masquerade from. They're, they're imitating their spiritual resource. The Satan-sponsored false preachers are not ministers of righteousness, but just the appearance of that. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, 8 and 9. We have false gospels being preached by false preachers. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm going I'm to boast a little. I'm not going to exaggerate, but I'm going to boast so that you know exactly what is. And he lays out the truth. And here it is. There are critics out there. There are false teachers. And the only way they're going to make themselves look good is that if they try to make those who are true ministers of the gospel and true churches look bad. And so that's why you have people on the outside saying, oh, don't go to that Baptist church. Why? They don't believe in the Holy Ghost like we do. Listen, before those other false groups ever existed, we preach what the Bible says about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're not afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit just because of their abuses of the Holy Spirit. We're not afraid to talk about healing just because of their abuses of what they call divine healing. We're not, we're not afraid to talk about miracles just because they abuse that. And uh, I mean, just to get a crowd, they've got to have their, their nickel and dime what appears to be miracles. You know what I'm talking about. Phony. Phony. And I believe in everything the Bible says. I believe that God wants us to be all that the New Testament would say about the New Testament ministry. We're going to work long hours. Paul wasn't afraid to work long hours. He said, I'm more diligent. Uh, he, he wasn't afraid to take those, those uh, 39 lashes. He wasn't afraid to be stoned. He wasn't afraid uh, to, uh, to be shipwrecked. He wasn't afraid to travel and be robbed. He wasn't afraid to deal with the pressures every day of the ministry. What was he? He was faithful. What should we be? Faithful. And sometimes, like the old, the uh, hare and the tortoise, right? 
I know that's, was that Aesop? I'm not sure whose fable that is. But uh, there's some truth in that. The, the, the preacher and the church that simply steadily moves forward in the Word of God and does what's truthful and does what's right may not appear to be flashy and glitzy and glamorous, but when the race is over, guess who's going to be at the finish line? Those that are true to the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Don't ever forget, God is in the business of vindicating, of delivering, of, of in the end, showing, revealing what we truly are. And the truth of the New Testament ministry is going to be revealed when God's people, who are the visuals of that, are faithful and everyone stands back and they say, you know what? He or she has been faithful. They're there when the church doors are open. They go soul winning. They tithe. They read their Bible. They pray. They maintain a witness for Jesus Christ. They do what a faithful witness, what a faithful servant of the Lord does. That's it. And after 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in the end, that's when the Lord will be glorified. When you're faithful, anybody, listen to me, anybody can for the short term put on an appearance, but it takes the grace of God for people to go on. And when it comes to glorying, they glory in the infirmities that represent the faithfulness that they are characterized by. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed. Ever I close and nobody's looking. And how many of you would say, Preacher, tonight I've listened to this message and I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful for the long term. Raise your hand. I want to be faithful for the long term. Amen. Would you commit and recommit to that? Would you give yourself to that? Instead of complaining about your stubbed toe, instead of whining about aching backs and headaches and nagging pains and so forth, would you just look to God and let Him work through you, be a channel of blessing to others, and be faithful for the long term. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, would you pray from your heart to God? If you're not sure you're saved, pray something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior, Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all?